Well, I want to welcome y'all to another Daily Decade here on Ash Wednesday as we begin our pilgrimage through Lent. The, that's going to be a subject that we'll talk about just a little bit. I don't have any special intentions today coming in from the uh, email, but I do encourage you to send those in throughout Lent. Uh, that email is dailydecadrequests at protonmail.com. Decade, D-A-C-E-D-E-C-A-D early in the morning. D-E-C-A-D-E requests in the plural at protonmail.com and you can send in any questions, uh, any thoughts, reflections, prayers, anything, and intentions obviously, anything. And, uh, I'll get my audience, we'll get our audience, all of us who are involved in the Daily Decade, we'll get the audience to pray for you uh, and seek to glorify God through seeking His aid. With no intentions to pray for, I think a simple intention will do. Let's just pray for a good foot forward as we step into the Lenten season and that all of us will have a successful period of preparation prior to the resurrection that when the Feast of Easter comes, we might say with confidence that we have done our penance such that we may enter into the year after Easter full of good things. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Father, 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 the Anam nostrum quotidianum de nobis odiae, et de midi nobis debita nostrum, secret nostrum, secret nostrum minimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos ducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tua, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Orum per nobis mentoribus, nunc et non mortis nostri. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus vetris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Orum per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et non mortis nostri. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tua in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. 
Santa Maria, Notre Dame, Order for No Respectoribus, Mortis Nostri, Amen. Ave Maria, Gratia Plena, Dominus Tecum, Benedicta Tua Mulieribus, and Benedictus Fructus Vetris Tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Notre Dame, Order for No Respectoribus, Mortis Nostri, Ave Maria, Gratia Plena, Dominus Tecum, Benedicta Tua Mulieribus, et Benedictus Fructus Ventris Tua, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, Ora Paralis Vectoribus, Nunc et Ora Mortis Nostri, Amen. Ave Maria, Gratia Plena, Dominus Tecum, Benedicta Tua Mulieribus, et Benedictus Fructus Ventris Tua, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, Ora Paralis Vectoribus, Nunc et Ave Maria, gratia plena, nominus Tecum. Benedicta Tua Mulieribus, et Benedictus Fructus Ventris Tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in nominus Gloria Patria, Fidio, et Spiritui Sancto, Sicurerat Principio, et Nunc, et Semper, et Seco Seculorum. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, Vita Dulcedo, et Spes Nostri, Salve. Ad te clamamos, exulis Fidia Evi, ad te suspiramos, Dementes et Flintes, in hac lac Romanum, Pane. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, illos tuos misericordes oculos agnos converte, et Iesum viatum fructum ventris tui, nobis postutisidio mostum, clemens via, lucio verbo maria. Ora for nobis, sancta deis in Egypt, quid dignis officiamor commissionibus Christi, oremus. Lord, pour forth, pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. All of us in battle and struggle, said Michael the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacratissimo per Jesu, miseri nobis. Sacratissimo per Jesu, miseri nobis. Sacratissimo per Jesu, adveniam regnum tu. Amen. Pacis fidiat spiritus sancti. Amen. Yesterday, I ended up talking about prayers for the dead, which was not my intention. I really wanted to talk about something else that I had on my mind, and I think today is as good a day to talk about that as any. And that is the adoration and the devotion to the holy face of Jesus. This is something that is fairly recent in development. I want to say it's Pius XII, uh, whose papacy it is, where this arises and exists. Uh, it seems natural that in the 20th century, as we're facing a turn towards the human, 
that a devotion to the humanity of Christ, which is correctly ordered, should have arisen. It makes perfect sense. We lose the divinity of Christ in so much of the heresy that permeates the world in which we live now, that the true humanity of Christ, which is reflective of his divinity, should necessarily be proposed to us as an alternative. It seems that way to me anyway. And I think that the face of Jesus offers us three ways in which the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ are unified in his human person. The face is the means whereby we express ourselves. It's where our emotions, and I don't mean express yourself in the 90s PSA uh, way. I mean, it's how we literally express what it is that we want to convey to people around us. It's from the face. We speak, or we may perform expressions on our face, and pretty much anything that need to communicate, you communicate mostly through your face, even your body language, all centers around the face. And so the face of Christ communicates to us his divinity in humanity and his humanity following the divinity. His entire nature is contained and combined in his facial expression. So of course devotion to the holy face is a uniquely appropriate devotion for those that want to understand correctly and properly the place of the humanity of Christ. There are three, as I said, ways in which it does this, because to me there are, and I may be, this is just a personal reflection, it seems to me that there's really three expressions of Christ's face. The first is the expression of agony, which he experiences at the end of his earthly life. And when he, when he uh, comes to the tomb of Lazarus. The second is the expression of comfort and joy which is the face that he shows to the Samaritan woman at the well. It is the face that he frequently shows to the apostles, and it is the face that he shows to the little children. And then there is the face of wrath. And that is the face that the money changers saw in the temple. That is the face that St. Peter saw when Christ turned around and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. That is the face that the devil saw in the desert when his temptations of Christ failed. And it is the face that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the high priests saw when Christ stood in the temple and said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, when he gave the eight woes to, or the ten, the ten woes to balance the Beatitudes. And in these three facial expressions of Christ, in these three faces, and this last one in particular has occupied the interest of several authors, from Bishop Sheen to G.K. Chesterton, because Chesterton reflects in The Everlasting Man that it seems we often see a face of Christ 
in all of the drawings and sculptures, but who would dare to show the depth of divine wrath that is displayed on the face that turns around on Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And Bishop Sheen also highlights that there is a sudden shift in Christ when, we, when he has this conversation with Peter, because it's right before that that he asks, Who is it that you say that I am? And Peter answers on behalf of all the apostles, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou hast spoken well, Simon Bar Simon Barjona. Right, I think it's either Simon Barjona or he says it, or he actually says Simon Peter. And I say unto you that thou art a rock, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Bishop Sheen highlights that it's after this recognition. I think, I know what it says. It says in the passage, For blessed art thou, Simon Marjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, and my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the scripture passage. And then immediately thereafter, he begins to talk about why he has come to earth. The apostles have discovered this great truth about him. They know he's the Messiah. They know he's the Son of God. Now it's time for him, having reached this point in their ministry, he now has to tell them the truth of what that means. And he tells them that he's got to go to Jerusalem, and he has to be crucified, and die, and be tortured. And Peter is the first one to speak up and, and, and try to offer a way out. And Christ turns on him and says, Get me behind me, Satan. Because what is it that Satan does? Satan tries to get away from the cross. He tries to get away from the crucifixion. That's what he tried to do when he was tempting Christ in the desert. And whenever the crucifixion is denied, whenever the suffering Christ is denied, the wrath of God manifests itself in the holy face. And he expresses the anger and the wrath of God whose people reject him. Now that's the, that element of the holy face, the holy face of wrath. And then there is the holy face of comfort. And this is the holy face that Mary Magdalene sees. And that she, in turn, seeks to behold when she is with her sister Martha at Bethany, Christ sits there, and Mary just sits there looking at him, because she has seen the face of comfort and of forgiveness. And it's one thing to look upon, if you've ever looked upon the face of your child, if you have children, or of your parents, the love that we feel for our children, and that inevitably our children feel to us, is manifest in the way that we look at each other. And you often talk to you often hear about lovers staring long into each other's eyes. That's also a, a sort of expression of this. But of course we're human, and so our expression of this is imperfect. Christ's expression of this is perfect. Imagine looking into the eyes 
of your parents, the eyes of your father or the eyes of your mother, and seeing perfectly the love that they have in their hearts for you. Or imagine looking into the eyes of your child and your child seeing in your face the perfect expression of the love that you have for them. This is what Mary Magdalene saw in the face of Christ when she came to anoint his feet. And he looked down at her and said, Woman, thy sins are forgiven thee. This is the face that the blind man saw for the first time when Christ took away his blindness and said, and said Go and sin no more. They saw shining in the face of Christ the perfect expression of God's love for them individually and particularly and uniquely and the fullness of that was such that some of them could not help but praise God as the blind man went as the lepers went so many that Christ healed when they could not contain the, the glory the praise that they needed to give to God and Mary Magdalene responded to this by just sitting and beholding Christ and one must imagine that this is not the only time when this happens, when Christ comes to Bethany to see Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who, with whom he developed a deep friendship. That This must have been whenever Mary Magdalene was around Christ, she must have just felt the need to live that beatific vision of forgiveness that had so changed her life. This is why when Martha says, Lord, tell her to help me, Christ says she has the better part. Because he also knows the perfection of what he's conveyed to her. And this is the, this is the beatific vision, to behold perfectly the love that God has for us. Um, actually, I say that if I... I may not be expressing a perfect, I may not be expressing the truth of the beatific vision perfectly, and if I'm not, and I'm straying into heretical territory, revoco, I, I recant any heresy that I may be conveying in that, because the beatific vision is a very specific doctrine, so I want to be careful. And then finally, there is the face of agony, and that is the face that we consider now coming into Lent. This is the face of Christ on the cross. This is the face of Christ in the garden, looking upwards to heaven. Whenever Christ shows his face to his Father in heaven, and Christ continuously and continually, and except for one moment on the cross, Christ always beheld the beatific vision. That is a truth of the church. Christ always had the beatific vision. But whenever Christ turned his face to his Father in heaven, the face that his Father in heaven, that our Father, that God, that he himself beheld, was the face of agony. For all the sins of mankind heaped upon his shoulders, pressed down upon his brow, all the sweat and blood and tears of eons of human evil and suffering and death etched into his face. That is the face that God beheld, and that is the face that we reflect on coming into Lent. Because it is the face that Christ buried in his hands when he wept for the death of Lazarus. 
It's the face that Christ showed to the angel in the garden when he was in his agony, when he took the cup and submitted his human will to his divine will and began the journey to Calvary. It's the face that he showed on the cross when he gazed skyward and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the same face when at last his life spent, he let forth the great cry and gave up the ghost. That is the face that we contemplate coming into Lent. And then we turn to the face of comfort coming out of Lent. And it is the face of Christ in wrath that we contemplate, well, <laughs> really throughout the rest of the year, that we should never want to look upon it or rather we should never want it to be turned towards us. If it is turned towards us, we must look upon it and contemplate it. But in our sins, we think of the face of wrath. And in our penances, we think of the face of agony. And in our forgiveness and sanctification, we think of the face of comfort. And this threefold contemplation of the holy face of Christ is one which I hope will help to guide us through Lent. And my prayer today is that as we enter into the season of penance and penitence and discipline and effort, we shall always have the face of Christ before our eyes such that when we depart from this world, having lived a life of penance and penitence and struggle and discipline, we shall be given that great grace and great gift to behold the face of God in heaven for all eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.